Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 18, the Bible says some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection came to Jesus and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died leaving no children. The second one married her and died leaving no children, and the third likewise. And so all seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush? Now God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Have you ever said, thought, or done something that you felt with 100% certainty you were absolutely correct? I mean, there was no doubt whatsoever in your mind. You knew that you were right. I mean, there's no way in the world you could have been wrong. No way whatsoever. You, you knew that you were absolutely right. This morning we come to another text in our sermon series throughout Mark's Gospel. The series in, is entitled Servant and Savior. And uh, what an appropriate question to consider. In the latter part of Mark chapter 11, Jesus encountered the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And at that point, they began to question Jesus' authority. Now, it's not that they didn't question his authority prior to the latter part of chapter 11, but beginning in the latter part of chapter 11, that's where we're really able to see the questions start to rise. So they asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? In other words, who gave you this authority? Then the next question they ask comes in chapter 12. They say to Jesus, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Are we to pay or not? And this morning we come to, once again, another question. And this question pertains to the resurrection. Now if you remember, we were introduced to a group known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the religious leaders during Jesus' day. It was a, a group of 71 members that made up this body that simply ruled the nation. And in chapter 12, we learned of another group that we've seen again throughout Mark's Gospel, the Pharisees. They came on the scene again. Uh, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones that they dotted all the I's and they crossed all of their T's, or at least they seemed to do so from the outside. If you were to look at them, you would say, well, th those folks, they got it right. And then we also looked at the Herodians. They were the political leaders during the day. They were the ungodly followers of Herod the Great. And the Pharisees and the Herodians, two groups that adamantly opposed one another, they came together 
for the sole purpose of trying to trap Jesus with once again another question. And as we continue to move throughout Mark chapter 12, you see these questions unfold. In the text before us today, we're introduced to another group of religious leaders. This group happens to be the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees I mentioned a moment ago uh, within the uh, Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees. So you had some of those uh, members from either group that were a part of the Sanhedrin. Now, a good question to ask here is, well, exactly who were the Sadducees? What else did they believe in? That's a great question. Uh, they believed in the book of Moses. They affirmed the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would say to you, we, we follow Moses, we follow those books. One writer describes them as follows, and I quote, The Sadducees were a religio-political group that held a great deal of power among the Jews in Israel. They were an aristocratic class connected with everything going on in the temple in Jerusalem. So they had a great presence there in the temple. They tended to be uh, wealthy and held powerful positions, including that of chief priest and the high priest, and they held the majority of the seats of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. The writer goes on to point out four truths that I think are important for us to take note of. He writes, they were extremely self-sufficient to the point of denying God's involvement in everyday life. Number two, they denied any resurrection of the dead. They were the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Therefore, they were sad, you see. They also denied the afterlife, holding that the soul perished at death. In other words, they believed in annihilationism. That people were annihilated. That there were no rewards, nothing that took place apart from this earthly life. And then the fourth thing he points out is they denied the existence of a spiritual world, angels and demons. So the Sadducees are the group that once again approached Jesus and they come to him with a question concerning the resurrection. Now that's crazy because they didn't even believe in the resurrection. But yet they say, Jesus, we want to ask you a question about something in which we don't even believe the resurrection. So this is the question. Again, it's nothing more than a setup. It's nothing more than a trap. It's a trick question. They say to him, teacher, remember I pointed that out last week. Oh, teacher, teacher. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no children, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. So what are they doing here? Well, they're going back to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They're looking specifically in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 6, if you want to write that down. And this is what they're pulling from. The Bible reads, When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duties of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel." 
So what a tragic story, number one, that they come with. I mean, it's, it's a horrible, horrible story. You've got a lady here who has a husband, and the husband dies. And not only does one husband die, but the second husband, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh husband die. No child is born. There's no heir. There's no one to carry on the family tradition, the family name. Thus, what results is the name is blotted out from the history of Israel. Why in the world would the Sadducees ask such a question? I mean, what were they trying to accomplish? Well, Dr. Danny Aiken explains the situation as follows, and I quote, he says, The Sadducees argue such a scenario is absurd and shows the foolishness of believing in a future resurrection. Look at all the problems it could potentially cause. No, God is too smart for that. And the books of Moses, which are the undisputed word of God, do not mention a future resurrection. Therefore, it must not exist. End of quote. It wasn't so much a question concerning the, the issue of the resurrection as it was an issue concerning authority. We keep coming back to this week after week, and we see the overarching theme that we find is an issue concerning authority. Yes, they're trying to, to sugarcoat it with a question concerning the resurrection, but as I've stated in Mark states from the outset, they don't even believe in the resurrection, so why would they be asking the question in the first place? So they, they do this as a catalyst to poke fun at Jesus and to challenge once again his authority. So although they thought they were right, they were completely wrong. And this critical era was one of an enormous magnitude. You see, in life, you and I are going to make mistakes. That's just a given, amen? I mean, if we're honest this morning, you'll say, well, I've already made a mistake today. And what Jesus is getting to in the text, not just one time, he says to them, you are mistaken. He says to them a second time, you are greatly mistaken. But I, I pray that God will write the truths that we're about to look at on your heart. And I, I pray that, that you'll leave here getting this right. And I pray that I will leave here getting this right. Here's three truths I want to lay on your heart in a message that I've simply entitled, Don't Be Wrong. If you're taking notes, notice first, don't be wrong about the Scriptures. Don't be wrong about the Scriptures. Now, verse 24, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are mistaken that you do not understand the Scriptures? Talk about getting right to the point. I love that about Jesus. He doesn't beat around the bush. No, he, he shoots them, and he shoots them straight. It hits them right square in the chest. They're the ones that talk a good game. They admire the prophet Moses. They practice Scripture memorization. They can quote verse after verse after verse. They know all of this intellectually, but it's never made its way from their heads to their hearts. They claim to believe that Moses has authority over Jesus. He has superior authority. And Jesus says to them, you guys are mistaken. According to one writer, mistaken literally means to lead away from the truth, to lead into error, to deceive. The reason being, 
you do not understand the scriptures. In other words, you're flat out wrong. You're in error, complete and total error. Dr. Aiken goes on to say, what they claim to know best, the Torah, they actually know least. And because they misunderstand the Bible, they also misunderstand God. Misinterpreting the scriptures inevitably leads to a distorted view of God. Listen carefully to me this morning. Don't think for a moment that's not the absolute truth because it is. You look at every world religion, you look at all the cults and what they've done is they've taken specifically the cults, the word of God, and they pulled out what they don't like. And they've changed it to conform to their lives rather than changing their lives to conform to the word of God. And what happens is you have a misrepresentation and a misinterpretation of Scripture. We've got to be right about the Word of God. We've got to stand firm on the Word of God and teach what the Word of God teaches. Why? Why are you passionate about that, preacher? Because this is the Scriptures. I'm not standing up here today in and of my own authority. I'm standing up here proclaiming to you the Word of God, which is all authority. It's the authoritative Word that you and I must stand on. It's the Scriptures. It's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. It's the canon of Scripture. It's the foundation for living. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It does not change. It's incapable of error. It's free from error, and it's God-breathed. As one of my former pastors used to say, this is the only perfect thing that your imperfect hands will ever touch this side of heaven. It's living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to, to pierce and penetrate to the depths of the soul, to the joint and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a mirror. You look into the mirror of God and you see who you are in light of who God is. It shows us our real selves. It shows you the real you. It shows you who you are. And, and not only that, it's truth. It leads to physical life. It leads to eternal life. It's a gift from God. It's something that we should treasure. It's our basic instructions before leaving earth. It's the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. The Bible shows us how to live in obedience to God. It shows us how to act. It shows us how to live. No, it's not just a bunch of rules for us to follow. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Well, I don't want to follow the Bible because it's just a bunch of rules I've got to follow. No, it's not for crying out loud. Jesus said it sets you free. And if the Son has set you free, you shall be free indeed. It's the Word of God. And not only that, listen to me. It's a precious love letter straight from the throne room of heaven. It's the Word of God. What does it reveal to us? Well, it reveals to us the meta-narrative, God's big story, the overarching picture. You see, we like to read stories like, like David and Goliath, and we read those stories, and we say, well, if I'm just as strong as David is, then I can slay all of my enemies like David did. That's a good takeaway from that, but, but that's not the point of the story. David's pointing to a Savior that would one day come 
that would take away all of that stuff, that, that would make things right, that would make a way for us to be able to know God and to live the life that God's called us to live. So the meta-narrative, what we learn from Scripture from the beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation is that God created a perfect world. Before the mountains were even formed, there was God. He created a perfect world. He created a human, Adam. And, and the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam was lonely. He was lonely. He needed a helpmate. And therefore, he created Eve. And he joined them together. That's the first marriage, right? He placed them in the Garden of Eden. And he said, hey, you can do anything in this garden with the exception of one thing. And you know what they did? They did exactly what God told them not to do. And we say, oh, if I'd have been there in the garden, I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would. So would I. We would have eaten the fruit. I don't know if it was an apple, a pear, a peach, a fig. But they ate it. That's the creation. What they did resulted in disobedience to God. That's the fall. We're looking at the meta-narrative, the B-I-B-L-E, the whole Word of God. You've got creation. You've got the fall. They willfully sinned against the holy, righteous God. Therefore, as a result of their sin, you and I have inherited that same sin nature. We've sinned against the holy, righteous God. Yes, you have, and so have I. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But listen to this. Praise God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What God did is something that we could never do for ourselves. He sent Jesus from heaven to earth passionately pursuing us. And Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you were condemned to die. Praise God for that. Amen. We're talking about the scriptures here. Hey, don't miss this. They were wrong about the scriptures. They were wrong about Jesus. They got Moses right. But when you read in the Gospels, Jesus says that all of the Scriptures, back to Moses, speak of me. They're all pointing to Jesus. And then you have the restoration, which will... That, that's one of those things that's not yet. It's soon to be, but not yet. The restoration, when God will restore things to the way that they were intended to be from the beginning. So I say all of that to say that the Sadducees were wrong. They were wrong about the Scriptures. But notice secondly, don't be wrong about the power of God. About the power of God. If you continue reading there in verse 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the Scriptures, here we go, or the power of God? According to John Phillips, and I quote, They also denied the power of God, what kind of God did they worship anyway? A God who could not raise the dead? What a poor, puny little God they had invented for themselves. A God no bigger than they were. A God who can create galaxies is not a God to be stopped cold by the fact of physical death. A God who can make a body of dust of the earth, a body so complex that even modern science knows but few of its mysteries, endow that body with life, bestow upon it intellect, emotions and will and give it a spirit of its own is not a God to be balked by death. It is no more remarkable that we should live again than it is that we should live at all. The Sadducees were small-minded indeed. End of quote. Think about it. 
I heard somebody mention this just the other day. They saw Jesus face to face. They saw the miracles he performed. They saw his teachings. They saw that he cast out demons, that he healed the lame, that he gave sight to the blind, sound to the deaf, that he raised the dead. They, they were eyewitnesses of this. Yet they did not believe. They were wrong. They were wrong about the scriptures. They were wrong about the power of God. I, I say this over and over, but it's so true because people will tell you today, well, if I could just see one miracle, one miracle, I would believe in God. They didn't believe back then. And they saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Hey, you want to see a miracle? Just look in the mirror at yourself. Ever seen a baby born? Sure you have. A precious baby. There's no, how can you look at a baby that's just been born and not say, Oh, my. There's a God. How can you not go out here and drive about two hours east to the coast and look at the majestic ocean or drive three and a half hours west and look at the, the mighty mountains and not say, wow, there's a God. God has revealed himself through general revelation just by looking at his cre creation. Just going out in your backyard and looking at the trees and the flowers and listening to the birds chirp. All of that is not just there because it's there. It all points to God. God created that. And God created you and God created me. And these folks simply were in denial. They were completely and totally wrong concerning the power of God. I think the Apostle Paul summarized the Sadducees best in 2 Timothy 3.5. He said, They hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such as these. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not to engage people that, that have differing beliefs than we do. Sure we are. We're to love them, and we're to, to love like Jesus did, and we're to point them to truth. But we're not going to camp out there. I mean, I'm not going to set up tent there. So they were wrong about these things. Hey, let me ask you this. What about you? Where do you stand in regards to the Scriptures and the power of God? Let me ask you this. Have the Scriptures, the Word of God, changed your life? Has God changed your life? Has He breathed new life into you? Have you become a, a new creation in Christ by trusting Jesus Christ with your life? Or is your mindset one like, I don't need to read that. It's just an old, ancient, outdated book. I don't need to read it. Let somebody else read it. Is, is that the mindset? They were wrong. And, and my challenge this morning to, to each of us would be this. To wake up! To understand this is not a game. We're not playing church. We don't just come and occupy pews on Sundays and sing songs on Sundays 
so that we can live the way we want to live the rest of the week and then come Wednesday and sing songs and read Scripture. No, it's, it's our lives. God's conformed us to the image of Christ. We're to be different. We're to be set apart. When we go out into the world, others are to see Christ living in us. So it's not a time to question authority. It's a time to submit to God's authority. I've heard people say before, well, I just need some, some new revelation. No, you don't. We can't even live up to the revelation we've been given. You've got more than enough to learn and study and keep you occupied from now until Jesus comes. Amen. It doesn't matter if you've studied the Scriptures for five minutes or for 50 years. There's something new you can learn. So it's not time to close the Bible up and sit it on the bookshelf. If there's ever been a time we need to crack the Bible open and start reading it and applying it, it's right now. Now's the time to do that. So they were wrong about the Scriptures. They were wrong about the power of God. Notice third and finally, they were wrong about the resurrection. Wrong about the resurrection. Now this is liable to get me upset with some folks or to make some folks upset at me, however you phrase that. But I'm sorry. Just reading Scripture. Don't be wrong about the resurrection. I'm actually going to use uh, some words here from Tony Marita to describe this. Marriage in heaven. We all want to know what that's like, right? I mean, we're all looking forward to the mansion. I've got a mansion just over the... Right? We're looking for the mountain and our mansion. So, so what will marriage in heaven be like? Tony Marie explains it this way, and I quote. He says, what will heaven with our spouses be like? He says, we need to tread lightly. Think about the reasons we have marriage. Companionship, procreation, sexual fulfillment... And as an illustration of the gospel, Christ and his church. All of those are fully met in heaven. The institution of marriage is no longer needed because they are all met. You need, uh, your need for reproduction will be no more. Your need for companionship is fully met with the companion of a multitude of believers. And your desire for satisfaction will be fully met forever. And this picture of Christ's marriage to the church is fulfilled. And so I don't think, I'm sorry, and so I do think you'll know your spouse, and I think you'll be able to love your spouse, but marriage exactly as we know it will cease to exist because all of its purposes have been fulfilled. The marriage in heaven will be Jesus and his bride. End of quote. Marriage and heaven. What will that be like? Well, the Sadducees wanted to know. They wanted to know. I don't know why they wanted to know because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They believed they would be annihilated, which is simply not true. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. But this is what I've come to learn. In heaven, the deepest longing of your soul will be satisfied. I'll never forget one of my dear sweet aunts, Aunt Edith, what a godly saint. And I would remember going to her house to work on her computer when I was younger, and she would just sit there, and I mean, she, you could tell she was, 
She was in love with Jesus. You know what I mean? She would just sit there and say, oh, you just, I can't even begin to, you don't, you can't even understand what heaven's going to be like. You, your mind can't even comprehend what it's going to be like. I mean, think about the greatest thing you've experienced here on earth, and it's going to be 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 times greater in heaven. That's a lot of times, isn't it? I mean, we can't even comprehend it in our limited, finite minds. But it's going to be so wonderful. It's going to be a glorious place for all eternity. So they ask about marriage, and they also ask about angels. Well, I would have you know that angels are real. As a matter of fact, look back in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 13. This is so awesome. Mark chapter 1, verse 13, And he, that is Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts, listen to this, and the angels were ministering to him. They said, angels aren't real. We don't believe in angels. Man, I, if I was Jesus, I'd have said, I don't care what you believe in. It's a good thing I won't, I'm not Jesus, right? I'd have said, I don't care what you believe. They've ministered to me when I was in the wilderness. Doesn't matter what you think. But no, Jesus once again shows them grace and mercy. So yes, angels are God's ministers. Angels were created to minister. They were created to worship. Now, now back to the resurrection. In verses 26 and 27, Jesus said, it's a fact. Did, did you catch that? Verse 26, Jesus, the Bible says here, but regarding the fact that the dead rise again. Jesus said, you're mistaken. The resurrection is factual. It's absolutely true. Paul said these words concerning the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. This is concerning Jesus' resurrection. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. So if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if he's still wrapped in the grave clothes, if, if he's still in the borrowed tomb, we need to just close up the Bibles and go home. Because you've wasted an hour when you could be teeing up a golf ball or jumping on your surfboard. Any of you surf? I don't either. I don't like sharks. Our preaching is, is, is vain. It, it, it's empty. The, the proclamation of the gospel amounts to nothing if Christ is still wearing grave clothes. And it'll never amount to anything. And we're in a hopeless state. We're separated from God. No hope whatsoever. Useless faith. But here's the good news. Praise God, I've got good news for you today. Isn't that glorious? Isn't it good to have good news? I love good news. Don't turn on the, don't turn on the television. The 6 o'clock news, you're going to get a lot of bad news. But, th but this is good news for you today. It's good news. It's factual. You can take it to the bank. Listen to what Jesus said. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He's a living God. He's a powerful God. He's the God of Abraham the father of the faith, all the Israelites looked up to Abraham. Pharisee, Sadducee, chief priest, scribe, father Abraham. 
He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. And he's the God of Jacob. You see, the Sadducees were wrong about the Scriptures. Don't be wrong about the Scriptures. The Sadducees were wrong about the power of God. Don't be wrong about the power of God. The Sadducees were wrong concerning the resurrection. Don't be wrong about the resurrection. When it comes to these things and the issue of authority, could it be that, that, that all the while you thought you were right and you've learned today that you're wrong? That you're wrong. What's the challenge, preacher? What do I need to do? There's only one solution. Surrender to the one who's in authority. Surrender to King Jesus. Come to Him today before it's eternally too late. And say, Lord Jesus, I'm wrong. I've been wrong and I admit that I'm wrong today. I liken my being wrong to sin. It's exactly what it is. And today I believe that Jesus died in my place. And I'm surrendering to Him today. I'm trusting Jesus with my life. And from this day forward, I want to live for Jesus and not for myself. Let me encourage you. It's not going to be a perfect walk, no matter how godly you are. This is a, a far from perfect preacher. I fall short of the glory of God. Not just yesterday, but today. Well, it's your birthday, preacher. You can be perfect on your birthday. No, I can't. I don't think I can live a day and be perfect. Adrian Rogers, preacher that I admire greatly, is going to be with the Lord. He said, I wouldn't trust my best 15 minutes in life to get me to heaven. I can't do it, Lord. I don't want to be wrong like the Sadducees. And His grace and mercy is being extended today. You don't have to be wrong. You can be right by trusting Jesus. You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.